Hello and welcome back to another episode of Armchair Analysts, the only podcast more invested in deals than Quincy Promise. My name is Cameron McDonald, and I've spent three years working as an FA licensed intermediary here in the UK. My co-host Rupert Meadows has written and broadcast about all things football on platforms such as TalkSport Radio and Unisport. Sport. But above all else, we're fans. Yeah, thanks for that, Cam. And probably probably not as big a fan as Quizzy Promise is of Russia's non-extradition at the moment. <laughs> well, uh, not yet. <laughs> you never know. You never know what happens in later life. That's true. That's true. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. And speaking of getting ahead of ourselves, I think it's that time of year where we knock ourselves down a peg. I know oftentimes uh, our friends like to do that quite a lot. Mm. Um, but, but this time, you know, we're going to do it for ourselves. It needs to happen at least once a year, I think. And that is... Uh, going over the predictions that we made at the start of last season. We thought we knew it all. Turns out, guess what? We didn't. We've had some absolute stinkers in this year. <laughs> I think some good calls, some good calls, but some really bad ones as well. I, I think, yeah, we've had some good calls. We've had some complete missing the marks. I mean, it, it is interesting, especially in this season where a couple of things, it just immediately caveat some of the horrendous mistakes we've made. You know, we never knew what a World Cup in the middle of the season was going to do. And also, this was the season that had the most managerial turnovers ever. Um, I think a lot of the teams that we talked about, I listened back to our, our predictions uh, over the last week, we were sort of going, well, I think Steven Gerrard's going to do X, Y, Z for Aston Villa, for example. And then, of course, he gets sacked and, and Unai Emery comes in and completely turns their season around. Or with someone like Chelsea, for example, you go, well, Thomas Tuchel. You know, I think actually, funnily, we'll get onto it, but one of the things we yeah. talked about was, Thomas Tuchel and Todd Bowley, is that going to be a bit fractious? And if that happens, will there be a sacking? And Yeah, and, and, and obviously not, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, I think there was, uh, there's a lot of changes. I, I want to sort of ask you a question before we get into the predictions. Okay. Having looked back at your own predictions of the season that you thought was going to happen in 22-23 and looking yeah. at the table at the end of the season, what for you was the biggest surprise? Who, who was the biggest surprise to you? The biggest surprise to me. Who who finished like most differently? Because you might, I, I was thinking my sort of initial without looking at my own predictions that you might say Arsenal for challenging for the title. But actually, I think we both had Arsenal. Maybe, maybe not both in the top four, but in the top six certainly. So sixth to second, it's a big improvement obviously, but it's not as much of a difference from let's say if you had someone going down and they finished you know seventh for example. I don't, Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Sure. So um, I think mathematically, the, the biggest fuck up on my end was Brentford. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Sorry, the biggest surprise on my end was Brentford, um, who I had to finish 19th. Um, I I think I just worried about lack of attacking players. I thought losing Ericsson was going to be a, a bit of a knock to them. Um, I can't remember if I also thought that maybe um, Ivan Tony was actually going to get done for his his gambling before the end of the season or before like basically the end of the season. We didn't, we, know, we didn't know that at the time. I don't, but I don't think, I don't think we did, did we? Well, we didn't, no. did we do our predictions right before we did, didn't we? So yeah, it wouldn't have been that. Can't, can't ex- explain it away with that. Um, just, just thought that they didn't have enough, enough attacking firepower up front. Where did you have them finishing again? 19th. You have them going down. Uh, and they finished ninth. So that's, that's definitely the biggest one for me. So that's a, that's a 10, um, a 10 spot swap mine is probably Fulham who I had staying up but I had them in 17th and of course they did very well this season they finished in the top half uh, by quite a bit and finished in 10th place very nice indeed oh did you not, did you not have them going down I seem to remember did you not uh, no I have oh, my notes now. I there had, you uh, go. had Fulham just staying up I had uh, well we'll leave it to the predictions to talk about who we had going down 
Sure thing. Yeah, I had Fulham 14th. That was the main thing that I was thinking. There's a little bit of symmetry. I actually thought you had Fulham to go down. So I thought it was, I had got Brentford wrong and, and you had got Fulham wrong. But I mean, we, we still were a little bit off. I remember when I listened to it, you had you had Fulham to go 14th. And I'm okay, that's insane. Yeah. I've got them so high. <laughs> yeah. I actually finished higher than that. <laughs> so. um, yeah, there are a couple of howlers. Um, I think I think probably the other one just was Chelsea. Mm. Um, I had them finishing fourth. Uh horrendous take apparently although i think we did have a little bit of it we'll get into it when we talk about it but a little bit of a preview but yeah interesting stuff i mean i think the other thing to talk about is that this was of course before the transfer window had closed so sure. a few sure. things were up in the air but an interesting exercise anyway to see where we got things wrong and uh the chaotic nature of the premier league which is what makes it so exciting shall we start off though with the least chaotic element of the league though which is of course who finishes first and one of the two predictions we both got correct uh, who'd you have for first, Rupert? Because I had Manchester City. Yeah, gosh, I had Manchester City as well. Aren't we geniuses? No, I know we're <laughs> complete geniuses. Um, it's really interesting, though, in that we both sort of, uh, in my notes, I've got Calvin Phillips being seen as a really, really interesting Did addition. Yeah. <laughs> and he, of course, played uh, a very small role. The, uh, the, Of course, Manchester City won the treble the other day, and he was there, so sort of celebrating the rest of the team. As is his, you know, rights, but it was just quite funny watching him sort of celebrate. Yeah, yeah. He's played about 18 minutes the entire season. Pull, pull the old John Terry. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, in terms of predicting how City would do, I think we talked about the fact that um, they often have quite weird starts to the year, um, often start slowly and then and then they just finish so strongly. And, and that is broadly what happened. Um, trailed for a long time, but then had enough to to get it over the line and, and beat Arsenal. Fairly comfortably to the title. Um, I think the other point I want to make about City was that uh, the idea that we float around was that City could actually probably just get away with starting none of their new signings and still do really well. And I think that's interesting because we did see that happen a few times over the course of the year. They could drop Haaland for a game or two and not really miss him too much, which I think is pretty crucial when you look at Haaland's injury history. Um, but then also players like Calvin Phillips, who they apparently just barely needed. Mm, that's a good point. Second place uh, was, of course, Arsenal, who fell away late in the season. Where did you have Arsenal in your predictions? I had Arsenal finishing fifth. Um, which, obviously a mistake. Obviously a big mistake. I think the, the main problem that I had with with Arsenal, the, the, as in by which I mean the main thing that I got wrong, was that I think I underestimated their young players. I didn't think Martinelli and Saka would do it, or, or probably even Odegaard um, would do it over the course of a whole season. Um, I looked at someone like Gabriel Jesus, and, and I thought that you know he's never played a full Premier League season as the the starting striker. Um, and, you know, I still put them high. I still thought it would be kind of a good season for them, but I didn't see them hitting the lofty heights that they did. And to be fair, I don't think many people saw that coming. And I think if you were um, an Arsenal fan that predicted it, I think you're still wrong <laughs> for having for having predicted it. If you if you cor- if you correctly guess where lightning is going to strike, it'll yeah. you're really good at it. Yeah. You, just, yeah. you just got really lucky. No, I think that's fair. I mean, I had Arsenal as fourth. I remember uh, they had four seasons, four wins from four in their preseason at the time, including a four 0 win over Chelsea most recently. Um, and I do think your assessment about Gabriel Jesus is correct. He's not a 25-goal-a-season striker. He's not even a 20-goal-a-season striker. And we saw that over the course of the season, particularly towards the back end, where that, that stopped them from potentially winning it all. I had them in fourth, um, and I thought 
you know, but one of my concerns was players staying fit for the entire season, particularly someone like yeah. Thomas Partey, which was an yeah. issue. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus got injured at the World Cup, which was another issue. Um, but yeah, I think they outperformed both our expectations. I had them finishing the Champions League, but certainly not challenging for the league for as long as they did. No, and again, yeah, I think you would be wrong to have predicted that. <laughs> um, both of us actually predicted the same second place team, which was Liverpool. We did, we did. Uh, although, I was going to say, shall we do it by going down the actual table and seeing where we... Because that's where we started it going. Uh, <laughs> to, yes. to, to, to contrast, otherwise we'll slightly be all over the place. Okay, third place, obviously, was Manchester United. Cameron, where did you put Man U? I had Manchester United in seventh place. And this is another one that was really impacted by transfers. Um, I think if you'll remember that in preseason, United looked really, really good. But it was one that Cristiano Ronaldo had missed out on. <laughs> Yeah, And so my chief concern was that Cristiano Ronaldo was going to come screaming back in and really disrupt the squad, which is what happened, although he did so to such an extent that he was then sold to Saudi Arabia, uh, after which Manchester United immediately recovered and started becoming good again. <laughs> I didn't think that they would be able to jettison the Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, and yet they did. Uh, I, guess, I, I guess, again, that's underestimating Marcus Rashford. It is as well. It's definitely underestimating Marcus Rashford. But yeah, I, I think I underestimated Marcus Rashford and maybe overestimated Jaden Sancho. <laughs> sort of went with the, yeah. the benefit of a full preseason, maybe he'll look better. Spoiler note, he did, he did not look that much better. He, he did not so much, no. Um, yeah, I had them finishing sixth. Um, I actually think I did say I almost put them higher. Um, the reason I remember not putting them higher was because I felt like they were a bit of an unknown. And to be fair, they were a bit of an unknown. And to be fair, I think... In a, in a slightly more normal season, although I guess what looks normal these days, I think Manchester United probably do finish slightly lower. You know, if Liverpool has a good year, that puts Man U in fourth. Um, you know, if Chelsea had a good year, that puts them potentially in fifth, um, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I think um, it's been a better season than we thought, obviously. And Ten Hag looks like he knows what he's doing. The team, the squad looks like it's progressing. I think... They're in a good place. Do you think they'll, they'll keep going, push on for next year and have a good year? I think they will have a good year next year. And now that we're getting, I mean, Man City, we both agree we're going to finish first and they did. I think Arsenal, we can we can agree, was such a flash in the pan, sort of bizarre thing that you know, we've had our reasons for not understanding it. But I, I sort of want to, when we've got things wrong, I want to look at why we've maybe got these team positions wrong moving forward. And I, I would say that yeah. for Manchester United, the reasoning is maybe... Not understanding that Ronaldo was going to get jettisoned as quickly as he would. But also, yeah, underestimating Marcus Rashford, underestimating how well Eric Ten Hag was going to do. I think a lot of managers have struggled to establish themselves at Manchester United, and Eric Ten Hag seems to be one who has finally done that, at least so far. Obviously, they got to the FA Cup final and lost, but they won some silverware this season, which was obviously a huge uh, you know, win for them. I think their last one came in 2017, so that's only going to build confidence with the players. Um, so I do think they're on the way up. Will they finish third or higher next season? It's tough to say. It's obviously very competitive at the top. Um, but I think if you're a United fan at the moment, you're probably feeling quite hopeful about the future. Whereas maybe in recent years, you haven't so much. Oh yeah, you, you've got to imagine that they that they have a good year. I think the weirdest thing for me for Man U was probably how little Donny van der Beek played. <laughs> that, that might sound dumb, but I just thought Ten Hag coming in, managed him at Ajax. I thought it would be a... A reunion, the likes of which Donny van der Beek had only dreamed of and woken up with wet sheets. There's something that I think he like got there on the first day at Carrington and like shat in the like bosses or like the, the manager has a special toilet in his office and Donny van, van, van der Beek took a shit that. in that or something. <laughs> so he's persona non grata forever. I wonder if I wonder if there was something along the lines of like like Donny, like I'm sorry, I know you expect that you're going to start more, but I think that 
I'll immediately lose the entire fan base if I start playing you more than 10 games in this season. <laughs> the fan base have had a problem with it. It's just for some reason all the managers. Um, yeah. Fourth place we had, and I think this is going to be all where we had quite a bit of variance, uh, Newcastle United. Um, it's quite interesting, actually. In sort of listening to some of these, we talked about end-of-form season and how end-of-form season can sort of correlate End to- of season form? End of season form. Uh, <laughs> end of season form. How much that correlates with start of the next season form? Because it is a bit of an intangible from the outside looking in. We sort of see things as two very distinct seasons. Yeah. And we go, oh, okay, well, if someone won, you know, three out of their last five games or five out of their last seven games at the back end of 2020-21, does that mean they're going to have a good start to 21-22? And there's two teams we discussed this about. One of them was Newcastle we had, obviously, with Eddie Howe coming in and new, the new owners coming in as well had a really, really good end to the season. And then a really good start to this season. I think Newcastle had a great season in general, but the start of the yeah. season, they were just absolutely tremendous. And players like Sven Botman and uh, um, uh, Nick Pope came straight in and, and, and sure. at home. I had them in eighth. Um, I did think they were going to improve, which they did. I didn't think they were going to improve this much, bearing in mind that 18 months ago, they were a team that were genuinely relegation threatened. Yeah, 100%. I actually had them in eighth as well. Um, I thought that they were kicking on as a team. They'd be doing better, but yeah, not not nearly as well as they did. Um, what I do take some solace in is the fact that, well, again, I don't know how obvious this is, probably very, but every single time we did a January, like here's who the team should sign. I think for the last three years in a row, we've picked uh, Newcastle to sign a good centre-back, almost exactly <laughs> along the lines of Sven Botman. And lo and behold, they pick one up and he's really good. Um, I think just the, the way that they've blooded the new players, the way they've kept on a lot of the old players. I love the transition of Joel Linton to like some sort of mid- centre midfielder, a, a, a brilliant centre, some sort of exceptional centre midfielder. Like, unbelievable, can't score to save his life, striker, and now he's sort of either sometimes a left winger, but also sometimes like left sided number eight. I love it. I love it. I love. I love you know the back line, the mixture of new signings and older English players. Um, I think that they are such an exciting side that we've never seen before. I, I'm, we've never, never, never seen a team do what Newcastle have done. Not in that short space of time and without... You know, with with new owners, I almost mean as well. Oh, oh with new owners, yeah, definitely. Because I think we all thought that they were going to go for a bit of a, a bulldozer approach and start just throwing new players in. But that's not been the case. It's not what they've done at all. Um, no, and, and I think we often make a lot of, of approaches that clubs take when they get promoted to the Premier League. And we talk about how... You know, will they go the route of Norwich? Will they go the route of Fulham? Will they do what Watford often do, et cetera, et cetera? And there's less of a study made, I think, of, of what clubs do when they take on a new owner. And this is, is by far and away the most successful example in the current modern game, I think, when, when you can't just throw hundreds and hundreds of millions at a problem. Yeah. Although, it's worth noting, they may now be able to do so with things like their new shirt sponsor that is also a company owned by the PIF. They're already top four, though. Well, they're already top four, but they might, you know, they've already got a front of shirt sponsor uh, owned by the Public Investment Fund. They might get a shirt sleeve sponsor and a back of shirt sponsor owned by also companies. (laughs) One can only imagine, and and presumably there'll be no problem with that. And, 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 yeah, you know, as we discussed last week, uh, the... uh, the PIF, which are completely distinct from the Saudi government, are keen to start throwing a lot more money yeah, uh, yeah. In, into football. Um, Let's go from a team that we you know, undervalued to a team that we overvalued, which was fifth place Liverpool. 
Fifth place Liverpool, and again, one of the questions that I asked you was whether the top two in the Premier League, there was never a bigger gap between them and the rest of the league as there was in the sort of recent era. And I still think that's maybe a valid question, because just looking numerically at the points, but Liverpool had such a drop-off. Um, and a drop-off that I think some people anticipated a little bit with something like with someone like Sadio Mane leaving and a bit of an ageing midfield, but not to this degree. I mean, they were so much stronger than everyone else in the league, bar City, that to see them fall beneath the likes of Manchester United, Arsenal certainly, Newcastle, it is a real shock. And will they bounce straight back next season? I mean, they've signed McAllister, which is a good signing, but does that completely solve their woes? It's one of those really strange things that it is just maybe the end of an era. And I, I think we saw things maybe winding down a little bit with the ageing squad and especially how hard they're driven by someone like Jurgen Klopp without having the ability to rotate as much Man City do. But to fall to fifth is, is really, really surprising. It, it is. And, and look, I might get some heat for this, but can we call it an era? Is it an era? In my mind, an era is like 10 years. It's a dynasty. It's, it's, it's Arsene Wenger's Arsenal. It's Ferguson's Man U. Can Klopp at Liverpool be called an era? I think so, just because they've won the league and they've won the Champions League and they've finished sort of second, I think they finished maybe third one time, but they've finished second like three out of six years or something like that. So they've, they've been challenging quite well. I, I would still call that an era. Okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll let you have that one. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing that we did talk about a little bit was was the whether or not they would miss uh, a lot of their attacking players. Um, not only did they lose Sadio Mane, but they also lost... Uh, uh, Minamino and Divock Origi and I think I made the point that that combined was 83 starts mm, did, yeah. and they still are I mean they have replaced them they do have exciting new young attacking players but it just hasn't blooded in the same way as the old players were I think I think that's probably logical given the reliance probably the over-reliance that Liverpool have had in the last few years on their starting eleven uh, and not their squad but um, yeah, we definitely didn't predict them finishing as far down as they did. And I'm inclined to believe that they will not be second place next year. I don't think so. I, th- I would I would more highly value like Arsenal having another good season, Manchester United coming back, hey, maybe even Newcastle. I mean, I think we both agree that <laughs> in saying sure. who's five a second, we're probably both thinking that City are going to be going for it again unless they, they turn up drunk for the entire season. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's not for one for now. That's one for the next uh, prediction. Um, we obviously both had Liverpool to finish second there. Um, the next one that's interesting. Now, we're getting into a, a couple of teams here, and I think this will be the case for a lot of the teams moving downwards, where one thing I found really interesting was the signings that we talked about thinking that we they would be quite impactful. Because a lot of the teams yeah. we talked about made signings that we went, oh, this player's quite interesting. And that player had no impact, really, or minimal impact. And then it was someone else who had a massive impact that we didn't really talk about. Yeah. So in sixth place, being one of those teams, was Brighton. Uh, where did you have them finishing? I had them 11th, for, for my shame. Um, and I think it's it's one of those those silly sound bites that I had from from last week's, sorry, last week's, last season's predictions, where I said that... Um, I think they're really going to miss Yves Basuma because they haven't really replaced him. And they didn't fully replace him with a like-for-like player. But, I mean, I think Brighton's season has been such a such a, a revolving door of new players that it seems like such a dumb thing to have said in hindsight. 
Yeah, absolutely. Revolving door of new players and of new managers as well, to be fair. You know, obviously the biggest That's story. True. And, and potentially, you know, for my money, the, uh, the manager of the season, Roberto De Zerbi, uh, coming in and, you know, building on what they already had. I, I think, so this was one of the ones where I agreed with you that Yves Basuma was a, was a huge loss. The players that I was talking about were Dennis Undav and Julio Enciso. And Enciso came good towards the back end of the season and scored, like he started like five games in a row or something. But, didn't really make much of an impact for most of the season. And Dennis Undav was the same. Um, instead Benny of his players yeah. like, you know, obviously McAllister, Solly March, who went from being, you know, not very exciting at all in recent seasons sure. to, to being quite good. McAllister sort of really upping his game. Moises Caicedo, Estupinan. Although Moises Caicedo had a pretty solid end to last season, I want to say. So. He did, but he definitely kicked on. Estupinan uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, Purvis is stupid, man. Yeah, you, you would look at that team last season and go, I think it might have even been before they sold Kukurea when we talked about the prediction and gone, wow, if they lose Kukurea, they're really in trouble. Instead, they, uh, they, they sold him for loads of money and upgraded on him. fools we are. Where do you think Brighton would have finished if they'd kept Graham Potter? Probably ninth, is what I'm going to say, where I predicted to, them to finish. Oh, uh, okay, guy. Okay, guy. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think a really interesting team. Uh, and... If I, if I, talk, if I was to ask you this, I don't want you to, because obviously you've got loads and loads of time. Do you think that this Brighton season, broadly speaking, was a flash in the pan or a sign of things to come? Like, are they going to finish top half or bottom half next season, broadly speaking? I think, I think their success is not maintainable. And I think it's almost not really their fault. I think the fact that they've got these, these exciting different tactics and whenever a team comes up and does well with interesting, exciting tactics, like Sheffield United, they often have a slightly trickier season after that. And I think that's probably going to be compounded by the fact that not only are Brighton employing these tactics, but Man City have also adopted some of those tactics. And teams looking to frustrate City, which is going to be a really key concern for a lot of the big teams, where Brighton picked up a lot of points this season they can copy and paste at least some of those tactics and use them against Brighton as well. So I wonder if if they don't evolve again and keep moving forwards, they might well have a slightly trickier season. I, I personally think that they will probably still finish top half or around 10th, but I don't think it will be as impressive as it was this year. What's your opinion? I, I broadly agree. I think they'll finish top half, but I, I, don't, I think it'll be a ninth or a tenth rather than finishing as, as high as sixth again. And of course, yeah, they'll, they'll have European football to contend with as well, uh, which is never an easy thing to do. Well, speaking of European football... Well, indeed. Unai Emery's Aston Villa. Unai Emery's Aston Villa. As soon as he joined, Seventh Aston place. Villa, we, we guaranteed European football. <laughs> if we said this is, the, this, is, this is Emery's plot armour, is that he gets European football. Emery's plot armour is he gets European football. Uh, although I think he finished eighth with Arsenal and didn't get European football one season. So <laughs> You only do so much with Arsenal. Yeah, put plot armour versus plot armour there. <laughs> that's true. I had Aston Villa to finish in 13th place. Um, and they're another one that's interesting. They had a tricky start to last season, the season before uh, this one we're talking about. Um, I thought the fact that they were going to have a pre-season without Jack Grealish was going to be quite important. Um, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> maybe I'm, you know, reflecting too hard on Jack Grealish and Aston Villa should be celebrated for the merits of, of their own. Uh, yes, yeah, Steven Gerrard had them uh, sort of floating around the relegation zone for a little bit, uh, and then they turned things over to uh, to Emery, who uh, 
absolutely changed the side and, and really made them fight for things. Players like Tyro Mings, who that guy has had such a turbulent career, and it really annoys me because every time I, I go out on a limb and say he's good, he plays horribly. Every time I'm like, Tyro Mings is actually pretty bad, he starts playing really well. He does have a bit of a curse of the commentator to him. Um, I still think he's a great player, but there is coming a point where he's no longer that young. And mm. if his inconsistency continues, then he has to be considered, yes, he has to drop down a rung in everyone's estimations. Although I do think that we were saying the same about John Stones, probably until maybe two years ago. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's not an unfair point. Where did you have him finishing? So seventh, I had them 13th. Where did you have uh, the villains? I had them ninth. Um, Ooh, so okay. a little closer. Um, I think I felt like Newcastle, they were kicking on and progressing. And while I didn't fully back Steven Gerrard, and to be fair, actually, if they if they had kept Steven Gerrard or kept um, or, or hadn't picked up Una Emery, maybe they would have finished around ninth. But yeah, I, I just, um, I liked the development of the players. Uh, I didn't mind the sale of Jack Grealish. I thought they got a good amount of money for him. Um, I thought they were investing well in the market. Um, you did have a comment and you were close to write about them than I was but you did have a comment where you said something along the lines of <laughs> I think they'll be good because Steven Gerrard can bring in good talents for them but he <laughs> did no, no 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 I know but I was just listening back to that and I was like it's funny that in a roundabout way you've attributed Aston Villa's success to Steven Gerrard next season which isn't entirely untrue but it was just a funny sort of like they'll be good because of Gerrard but he did no, I'm not, well, I'm he not was like he I was just, like getting on the horn I, to people I like just, Felipe Coutinho and Coutinho's is like I'm joining to play with Steven Gerrard. I listened Ew. to it in a baby shop bus, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's to, to, a fair point. I don't, I don't think any Villa fans would go, he did good by us. No, but he he was he was a he was a valuable asset for recruitment. I stand by that. Well, uh in eighth place, I think we're gonna have a, a real bit of variance here. We <laughs> had Tottenham in the real league and I had them finishing third place. Yeah, I, I did too. Uh this is this is maybe the the most offensive um, you know, talking about a club that we had. Um, I think I mentioned some of it last week. Um, mm. Things like Richarlison's a great option. Um, and I think Spurs will look really good this season. Uh, you had the absolute stinker of the fact that you thought Spurs were going to stop being so Spursy, which hilarious given the entire contextual history of the last, like, what, 15 years of, of Spurs? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it was funny as well because I think... Looking back at it now, it's so ridiculous, but the general consensus was, oh, Spurs have had such a good window. And I remember saying something along the lines of at the time, oh, Jed Spence, he looks like he'll be really good. He barely played. Did he play at all in the Premier League? I don't think so. Didn't he go on loan? He did in the second half, but I think he maybe played in the Carabao Cup or something, but didn't play in the Premier League at all. Not a lot. Not a lot of game time for the for the man. I maintain he's a good footballer. Well, I think, hard, I think hard he to had know. quite a good season. Um, not for Spurs. Um, yeah, it's... It's a weird one. I think uh, we maybe overestimated Antonio Conte. He's obviously a fantastic manager, but there is a real clash of of personas there. Conte being a winner and Spurs not being serial uh, a winner. Um, and unfortunately, the club is bigger than the manager. And mm. and Daniel Levy made that very clear. Yeah, it's, it's very true. Um, I'll revert my uh, my opinion of Spurs next season. I, I I don't know what I was thinking, saying they wouldn't be Spurs again. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, uh, you know, the, the avid enjoyers of uh, you know football script because uh-huh. they were always going to Spurs it up again. <laughs> well, hey, I don't mind. I don't mind Postecoglou as a manager. I think that, that could no, be interesting. I know. We've discussed. I think he'll he'll have a 
An interesting impact, but we'll see who he brings in and, and what that's going to look like. Here's what I want to happen and I think will be hilarious. Harry Kane joins Manchester United and Spurs finish above Man U. That would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. That would be just, uh, that, that, that would be the most, that's like, <laughs> car, like not karma, but like curses working against you. The Harry Kane curse versus the, the Spurs curse. Um, ninth place were Brentford. As mentioned, you had them in uh, 19th? 19th. 19th. Good Lord. What, what, what did you dislike about plucky Brentford so much? It's a big whoops. Um, I didn't think they had enough attacking players um, that were going to score goals for them uh, and win games for them. Um, I thought they were good defensively. They just got rid of Ericsson. They hadn't. They didn't really have many plans to replace him. I think they might have made a signing or two before the end of of the window. Mm. Um, Ivan Tony was very consistent, and I don't think I was expecting that. Um, I thought maybe he'd get uh, fewer goals than he did, and yeah, I just didn't didn't back Brentford to have this higher ceiling. I thought that their model of of paying significantly under you know all of the clubs around them for in terms of wages and signings and things like that was going to catch up to them and they weren't going to finish in the top half and potentially it was going to mean that they they finished um you know much much lower down uh i think look it's obviously a mistake obviously a big mistake um but they happen they happen in football predicting i have them a little bit lower down as well i had them in 12th rather than going down uh, i thought they were going to finish you know, about the, I think they finished 12th the season four last, and I thought they were going to be a bit better uh, in that they would have David Raya for the whole season. If you remember, they had quite a good start to the season four last. I think they like won four in a row or something bizarre like that. And then David yeah. Raya got injured, and things just sort of started to drop off a fair bit. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought they were going to have a, a, a better season, or at least not get worse. Um, but I didn't see them doing this well, and I don't think anyone saw Ivan Tony getting 20 league goals, because uh, for all his talents, that is quite hard. Not a lot of players do that. Uh, in the modern era. A lot of the time, the golden boot is like 23 goals. When it's easy to forget that yeah, with Harlem now just breaking <laughs> every perception of what a normal season is. But yeah, a lot of the time, 23 wins with the golden boot. I think even once, maybe 21 or 22 did. So Ivan Tony getting 20 is, is no small feat. Uh, it definitely contributed a lot to Brentford having as many good results as they did in games, for example, like him scoring two at Manchester City to win 2-1. Crazy. Um, and also, to be fair to him, um, Brian and Wemo getting nine goals that was definitely a few more than I thought he would get as well I thought yeah. he was a, a classic five goal a season kind of guy and he got about double that mm-hmm. um, so yeah fair play Brentford let me ask you that Ivan Tony is have we talked about this before Ivan Tony obviously he's been banned for eight months yeah do you think it's worth someone's while to pay Brentford like 40 million now to try and get him and just take the ban on set? because Brentford can't really afford to be without Ivan Tony for eight months and there are some t- like I'm thinking about someone like a Chelsea for example Chelsea could I mean, they're not going to go down, but they could afford yeah. to... I don't think Chelsea would need to do this because they wouldn't take a bargain. They would always pay a full price. But you could potentially <laughs> pay Brentford £40 million up front, say, look, use this money now to get a striker. You can't afford to have no Ivan Tony replacement. Sure. We'll pay £40 million for him, and then in six months' time, we'll have an £80 million striker for half the price. Is Ivan Tony £80 million, in your opinion? It's just, well, as we said, he's just scored 20 goals. He's, Eng- he's English as well, so you've got to consider that. I think he has yeah. a skill set that not a lot of strikers do in the modern game where he's both quick and really good in the air. Pretty well-rounded. Yeah. Um, and he'll be he'll be hitting 28 but by that time. He won't have match fitness, obviously. Yeah, um, that match sharpness. He can't train. Match the sharpness. That's a better term for it. Um, I think that they should, yeah, absolutely. But this is the classic example of, of things that we 
as fans look at managers and go, obviously you would do that. And so often it feels that they don't, but I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Uh, Fulham in 10th place. Uh, I had them, I believe 17th is, is where I've got them here. Um, I thought very light squad, injuries all over. Uh, and their last friendly before we recorded this, they only had 16 senior players available in their squad. Um, they had a lot of offers in at the time, but I just thought with the squad being that threadbare, they really need to do a lot of work in the window. And it just reminded me of the last time they did a lot of work in the window where they just went straight back down. I didn't have a lot of faith in them. And they proved my faith completely wrong, my lack of faith rather, completely wrong, uh, and had a brilliant season actually. I think Alexander Mitrovic finally threw off that sort of allegation that he was only a championship scorer. For years, he's obviously been that guy who he'll be in the championship, he'll score about 28 goals, and then he'll come up and he'll score five in the Premier League. And it's like, all right, mate, it's one thing to do it against Preston North End, but you need to be able to do it in the Premier League if you want to stay in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, no, Fulham, really, really, really good this season. And to finish above some of the teams they finished above when they're a team that, for ages, we looked at them as like the other sort of the, the other side of the coin to Norwich. And it's funny how Norwich have stayed down this season and Fulham have also stayed up because it used to just be those two passing the baton to each other at the end of every season. But Fulham, yeah. have, they've stayed up and they've stayed up well as well. It's not like they finished 17th or 16th. Slap bang in the middle of the table, top half even. Uh, really well, impressive, they were, yeah. They were 7th or 8th for quite a long time as well. Mm. Um, yeah. I think they only dropped off because Mitrovic got that ban, didn't he? The eight-game ban, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a silly lad. Um, I I think I just thought that they they dominated the championship. And I looked at what they were doing so, in, so in the so window. So Norwich a lot of the time, though. That's true. I, I looked at what they were doing in the window, and to me it felt like actually quite a clear difference to what they've done in the past. Yeah. Um, where I think they've... They've spent loads of money and they've spent it quite flagrantly. And when I looked at their threadbare squad, as you called it, I just felt like they were culling in a really efficient way and they were trimming all of the fat from their squad and they were picking up really exciting players like Palinia um, that I thought would be instrumental to them doing well. I put them 14th, so not quite as high as they ended up finishing. But yeah, as, as we said, um, you did say it was a, a controversial take. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, I think I said something along the lines of, uh, might have a little bit about them this year. And They had a lot about them they, this year. They did so. have more than a little bit about them, yeah. It just felt like a more considered approach. Um, you know, I felt like, felt like it was going to be a better season. How about a bit of useless trivia before we rattle through our bottom half of the table? Uh, I've got one for you this week because... Through these predictions, we've filled up a lot of our time for this episode, and so we're not going to get a lot of time to talk about the Champions League final, uh, sure. which is all well and good because it wasn't good. The last four of them have all been one nils and pretty shite, if you ask me, to use the, uh, the I want goals. term. I demand goals. I demand goals as well. What I will say, though, uh, just to put a little bit more Champions League uh, final stuff in the episode, is a little bit of a fact about this one, is that twice as many Yorkshiremen started in this Champions League final for Manchester City, uh, those being John Stones and Leeds-born Erling Haaland, as started the only time a Yorkshire team <laughs> played in the Erling. European Cup final, madly for Leeds in 1975. Wow, there you go. Sorry, Calvin Phillips, you, you didn't you didn't factor into that one. Calvin Phillips didn't start. No, I know that's. No, oh, oh, yeah. it's why he didn't factor <laughs> in. I think I didn't factor him in. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, that is a nice piece of piece of little trivia there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got an interesting one. It's about the Premier League because we're talking about the Premier League. Um, did you know that there were three players uh, of of just eight across Europe's top five leagues that finished the season with 
over one goal contributions per 90. So that's goals plus assists per 90. I think you can probably guess who at least one of them was. Are we, hang on, are we saying there's a minimum number of games here? Yeah, I think it's minimum, minimum. Or is it going to be like a guy who, a fullback who played one game, scored in that one game and then came off? Yeah, don't worry. None, none of those are these players. Okay. Uh, well, obviously one is going to be Erling Haaland. It is indeed. 1.43, the Ugh. highest across Europe. Uh, is another one going to, was it, is it goal contributions or goal and assist? Goal contributions defined as goals plus assists per oh, 90. Oh, okay. Uh, Lionel Messi? In the Prem. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won't be Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi in the Prem. Don't, don't think he was in the Prem this season. Half of that, hopium. Uh, Erling Haaland, uh, let's say Martin Odegaard. It is not Martin Odegaard. Who got a lot of goals and a lot of assists? Or maybe who didn't get that many but didn't play that many games? Uh, both of them played a solid amount of games. I mean, Harry Kane? Nope. Ivan Tony? Nope. Let's go through the top scorers here. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne? Nope. Don't know. Tell me. I can be here all day guessing names then. Callum Wilson? Wow. 18 goals this year as a bit part starter. That's great. That's a good one. And who's the other one? Above Callum Wilson's 1.1 goals and assists per 90, Roberto Firmino. Oh, that's a great one! There you go. Oh, Twenty final season at Anfield as well. Final season at Anfield. He played 25 games. Yeah, well, I mean, he, I'm sure he played 25 games, but how many of those are going to be coming? And he, he did, he came on, he scored a lot of goals coming off the bench, so he probably got, like, yeah, a goal in every 20 minutes a lot of times. Exactly. Well, And he also um, he also came off quite a lot, yeah. uh, often when Liverpool were chasing games. So he got 11 goals and, and four assists, but that contributed to 1.11 goals and assists per game. I was, I was really hoping per that 90, some, so, some, per some, 90. someone was going to have one that was higher than Haaland, just by virtue of, like, being on at 20 minutes at the end. Maybe I should have looked that up. Oh, but, uh, oh, no. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that someone does. Almost certainly. Almost certainly it'll be someone like, yeah, Cole Palmer. Probably fucking Cole Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> Come on for eight seconds for City, scored a goal. <laughs> did Cole Palmer get a goal this season? He probably did. Probably. Some random mid-season game. Everyone else was just resting on. on the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, well done, Cole Palmer. I hope you make it, to be fair. No, no other than Cole Palmer. <laughs> I think he's a stuffed shirt. <laughs> I don't know, he might be a nice guy, but he's, he's a stuffed shirt, if you ask me. He's basically just there, so the city you know what? You know what? I like Cole Palmer. No, uh, football's not about liking people and being nice, Rupert. Everyone knows that. It's about being hateful, hateful and bitter. Eleventh <laughs> uh, place were Crystal Palace. Uh, I a, team that, a team that, ironically, I think we're both quite bitter about still because they sacked their manager. They did. Uh, I had them in tenth place, uh, so only one place away. Um, I think Conor Gallagher leaving, uh, I didn't think see that would have much of an impact. And weirdly enough, he's had not a great season at Chelsea, who we'll be talking about in one more place's time. Well, but that doesn't mean that he it, it wasn't impactful that he didn't play for Palace. It doesn't mean that Palace didn't miss his energy in the midfield, just because he had a bad season for, for Chelsea. But they went, uh, they went up a place. So... That's true. Uh, I actually feel incredibly robbed here. And so I am very bitter. I had Crystal Palace finishing 12th. (laughs) (laughs) And they stayed 12 for so goddamn long. And then right at the end of the season, Chelsea decided to lose, drop one too many points. And Palace snuck in to 11th place, one point above them. Um, And and they were 12th place for so long, right until the (laughs) 10th. I know, man. They did it despite me, I can tell. Um, but you know we we were both pretty pretty accurate 
um, combined about Crystal Palace in terms of, of where we estimated they would finish. Um, I think I did uh, think that they would miss Conor Gallagher probably a little more than they did um, and probably a little bit more than you did. Mm. Um, but yeah, a, a good team. Um, it's very exciting. Well, I'm interested to see what happens next with them, to be honest. Is Roy Hodgson going to stay on? Uh, it's tough to say whether Roy Hodgson will stay again. I feel like Crystal Palace just, <laughs> they, they have some dirt on him that every time he tries to retire and sort of have a nice time in his garden with his wife, they're just like, hey, Roy, we'll release those files. And he's like, don't release the files. I'll come back, I'll do anything. Scurries back. Scurries back, yeah. And what a return it's been. What a scurried return it has been. That's been great. Although, I, I, as much as I have that time for Roy Hodgson coming back and playing some great football in his first few games back, I do think Patrick Vieira was hard done by. He had bad results in a bad run of fixtures, so they sacked him before the good run, and then Roy Hodgson played good football in the good run of fixtures. Eh. That's true. That's maybe, true. Maybe I'm being unfair to, to Grandad Roy, and we should still give him his flowers. I think the only thing to mention there is I feel like it's rare that a popular manager gets fired and then the players respond by playing very well. Yeah, but they were playing for someone who they all knew very well. Like almost all of the, it, it's it's different than someone new coming in and it's like it's not like a stepdad effect. It's almost like, I don't know what the analogy would be. It's like your dad's been killed, but then you find out he wasn't your real dad who then is come, comes back from the grave. <laughs> is that track? I'll allow it. Okay, I'll, I'll right. allow it. Um, while that's true, I think it, it would be very easy for players to imagine that any sort of momentum they'd picked up under a new exciting manager was going to be lost by the return of the old manager. And that wasn't what happened. Mm. But I, I do take your point. Um, I think I kind of want to see Roy Hodgson stay and either do very well and just have a random blistering attacking formation where we all just go, what the hell is Roy Hodgson doing in his 70s? Yeah. Or he ultimately comes unstuck and we're proven right that it was a mistake to get rid of of um, Patrick uh, Vieira. Yeah. yeah. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. I, 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 yeah, Watch I, him finish I, mid-table. I, I agree it's a win-win. I don't think there's any way he can really do wrong because if he, 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 is, he is basically there out of, out of courtesy <laughs> to, to Palace. That's true. Well, let's let's move on to Chelsea, and I want to start with with something that I said uh, about I mean, Chelsea. I mean, I mean, before anything, like Chelsea finishing twelfth. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, here here we go. Here's here's what I said about Chelsea, which for for context, I put fourth. I said the gap will not be too big. They've just about done enough to maintain. And then I said, Cam, I said it would be a sign of the wheels coming off if they don't finish top four. Well, I'll leave that. I'll leave that with you. Your did, thoughts they, and they, comments. They didn't, and it was a sign of the wheels coming off. But also, not only the wheels come off, the chassis was on fire, and and the driver was murdered mid race twice. Well, at least. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought shaky at the back. Uh, obviously, that Kunde deal fell through. They didn't have the CB they needed. I said I still wasn't convinced at all by their sold Rudiger. Sold Rudiger, exactly. Uh, even if Kai Havertz kicks on, he didn't. And Raheem Sterling settles in, he didn't. Um, I thought just a really turbulent season with with the new owners just coming in and making all these absurd deals. Uh, and just sort of... It's interesting now that apparently Todd Burley's decided to take a step back because it must be the only time in football history that a club... I mean, I know money, money is high, so no one will have ever spent $600 million, but a team has spent this much proportionally to what the market is worth and actively gotten worse. It's crazy that... 
we still think about, and we talked about this episode, we think about that time Fulham came up, spent 100 million yeah. and went straight back down. And that was, that wasn't even them getting worse because they were a championship team and then they returned to being a championship team. Sure. Chelsea have spent 600 million odd over the course of the two windows and gotten drastically worse. Now, a lot it of those players crazy. are young and could get better. But so, so you know, you look at someone like Mudrick and you go, that could be an investment for the future. But it's insane that they spent all that money. It's going to have to be an investment for the future because every... It wasn't every, an investment for the now. Well, not just that, but every window they go into, they're like, they're, they've already put down like 60 million. Yeah. yeah in yeah, yeah. in um, amortized spending. Yeah. So... True. It, it really needs to be an investment. They can't keep signing players where they have, or they will just get completely screwed by financial fair play. I imagine. Although, and, although they're they're you know they're, they're already looking, and the rumors are circling in the transfer carousel. But they're like in for Caicedo, for example, and they're apparently battling Arsenal for that. And it's like Brighton are going to want like eighty million for him at least. How are you going to do that? Is there going to come a point where Chelsea are, if they haven't already become? The Barcelona of, of English football? Well, Barcelona won the league this season, so maybe Chelsea fans will want that. You think Chelsea will buy Caicedo, buy Harry Kane, keep pulling get levers. Neymar, buy Neymar, keep, keep pulling, pulling levers. levers. Stamford Bridge on alternate Saturdays is a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes they can't even play there without having to dribble around a bunch of club colours. I'd pay £10 for entry, though. Yeah. Five pounds? Uh, maybe I wouldn't, but I'm black. So. <laughs> £10 and a free drink? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> That's uh, a fair point. Thirteenth uh, place were Wolves. Um, where do you have Wolves to finish this season? I feel like Wolves are just one of those teams that you never think they're going to rock the boat that much. I had them to finish fourteenth because I thought Wolves are Wolves. They're going to they're going <laughs> to win some games. They're going to lose some games. I don't see them doing well. I don't see them doing particularly poorly. It's, that's just Wolverhampton Wanderers, isn't it? Do you know what? I think this is this is my best um, my best prediction so far. Um, the notes that I took from listening back to uh, the episode where we predicted were. 13th, Wolves, unexciting season. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that, that could be really all you need to say, to be honest. Um, I think, yeah. Are we doing Wolves dirty by not talking about them enough? Like, do, do we need to spend a dedicated episode if, talking about... If you want to get like, talked about more, play more exciting football, you are... And you know what? In a lot of ways, that is exactly what you are. I'm sure that a lot of Wolves fans look at the teams that go up and go, go straight back down and go, you know what? You try and have your blockbuster, you know, Sheffield United's and your and your Bournemouth's and, your, and all these sort of teams that come up and then go straight back down. You, who's the other one that I'm not thinking of? Sheffield United, Leeds, I guess, would be another example. Who, who was the one before them? That the came up, came finished up. like eighth and then went straight back down. Um, I'm drawing a blank. Reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, not that far back. But yeah. uh, Burnley? Uh, no. Burnley did it. They came seventh one year. Well, maybe. Uh, but yeah, maybe Wolves fans go, all right, you know, Sheffield United, come up, have your blockbuster season, then go straight back down. We're Wolves. We'll have, you know, some some really simple, sort of like not exciting at all, but effective enough football. No one will ever sort of really get that worried about us, but we'll be plodding away, picking up that Premier League TV money. And and you know what? You know who else did that, that now are getting their flowers? Who were the team that, like, like this time two years ago, I was like, get the fuck out of the league, playing really boring football all the time, and finishing perpetually 17th? Brighton and Herb Albion. There you go. So maybe Wolves will be the next Brighton. Who knows? But for now, I'm not going to talk that much more about them, because I, they, they haven't earned it. <laughs> they they surely haven't. Who was that team that came up? Oh, that, there's there's another one. Hang on, let me, I think it's in my notes somewhere, talking about, you know, who, who will be Huddersfield? Them. No. Wofford? No. Oh, well, I guess we'll never know. Um, shall we move on? 
Let's move on. I think I've got. I think I've got those. Some I, I, I just put the Sheffield United and Leeds have over the last couple of seasons. So I, yeah. there, maybe, maybe there was a third team. There maybe you there go. wasn't. Who, maybe who not. Fourteenth place, uh, European champions. <laughs> can we call them that? West Ham United. We can. They are a European champion. We absolutely can call them that. A, and, and, a indeed European champion. and indeed should. And indeed should. Indeed we should. Um, yeah, I mean, I had I had West Ham finishing sixth. I had them doing way better. Uh, clearly, wow. they, clearly, they were focusing on Europe. That, that's what. That's why I got it wrong. They, they, they were focusing <laughs> on their, their eyes were on the Conference League. No, I thought that. Uh, Didn't they have a really good start to the year? They had a really good last season, is what happened. And I thought they had they had a really good sort of start of fixtures. And I thought they were going to start really well. Um, they were sort of. I, I just liked the way that both Jared Byrne and Antonio had played last season. And then, incidentally. You know, outside of the Europa League, neither of them really had great seasons in the Premier League. They had fine seasons, but neither of them really lit the league alight um, after being two of the most sort of exciting players outside of the top six last season. They didn't, no. And I think I personally had a sense that West Ham weren't really moving forwards in the way that some some clubs around them were. Where do you have them? I had them 10th. Um, so I still had them finishing better than they did. Um, maybe part of that can be attributed to the fact that they they were competing in Europe till the very end of the season, but yeah, I think it was a shame because we were all pretty excited about Jared Bowen, and I think that that shine has has worn off a little bit. I you know what if you offer Jared Bowen this season that he's had versus last season he's had a hundred times he'll pick this season. So he's going to score the winner in a European final. He doesn't care. Yes, he's like who cares? I dropped ob- in the Premier obviously, League. Obviously, yes, Cam. If you're the player, you would prefer that because you scored in a major final. Fans would too. If, Owners would too. No, 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 no. But if you're looking as as a neutral at a player like Bowen, and you're looking, you know, to potentially like, would the club that I support want mm. to pick them up? That's true. Do I think that he should be playing for England? Do I think that he's a really exciting player that we're going to be talking about more and more in the coming years? Mm. That's what I'm talking about. Obviously, yes, if you're Jared Bowen uh, and, you know, you had a great end of the season, you'd be happy. Yes, yes. Uh, well, uh, you were using some reason there, which I don't think is great. And let's move into 15th place, uh, Bournemouth, uh, where I thought I was using a lot of reason, but I had them dead last in 20th place, which I thought was an absolute lock on. And I think You know what? Just, I did too. Uh, yeah, I mean, all you can say is credit to uh, Gary O'Neill for <laughs> like not only finishing outside of the relegation zone, Finishing well outside of the relegation zone. I think they dropped some points. They, they ended up only finishing five points clear, but I think they were sort of dropping points when they knew they were kind of free because um, that bottom four, bottom five were, were so much more. I mean, even the Nottingham Forest finished one point off them, but it, I, think, I think that doesn't tell a tale of, of how that season ended. Yeah, Bournemouth are really good um, by Bournemouth standards. I think if we look at them and expect them to finish 20th, the smaller team, not a lot of investment, a really, really good season for them. Um, and a lot of times throughout this season, I looked at them and I went, that is the worst. Even when they were winning games, I went, that is the worst squad in the league. But they managed to grind out the results and, and rightfully stay up. It was just such a weird year because they came flying out of the gates and they beat Villa 2-0 at home in the first game of the season. And then a couple of weeks later, they lost 9-0 to Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it was a very strange season and then and then a couple of weeks after that they went um away to Nottingham Forest and beaten 3-2 mm. um so it, it was a weird inconsistent season but consistent enough to to be better than the teams around them yeah yeah absolutely and it's not even like we I talked about a couple of weeks ago how Everton was sort of a team that I felt only stayed up 
by the grace of the teams around them being worse. I don't feel that way about Bournemouth. I feel like Bournemouth well earned their, their right to stay up and, and were, were really, really good at winning the games they needed to win. So fair play, Bournemouth. Yeah, I, I actually 100% agree with you. And when you look at the, I guess, the, the players that um, you know, really, really kept them up, um, who would you say is like the player that you've been most impressed by this year? At Someone bo- like at Bournemouth, like, yeah, Tavernier, Neto, oh, probably Dom Dom Solanke. Yeah, he, he's had a pretty he's good year, hasn't he? W- weirdly good for a guy that wasn't good enough anywhere else. Has now gone to a side that has quite historically not got a lot of goals in the Premier League. And what are the end odds? I'm like twelve, thirteen. Quite a few. I don't think it was as many as that. I actually think um, Philip Billing might have more goals this year. Than, really? Than Dominic Solanke. I think Solanke only has six goals in the Premier League this year. That it feels like he got way more than that. He got seven assists though. Six goals and eight assists. Oh, you also seven. That, you guy, if if you'd asked me, I would have said he definitely hit double figures. No, well, double figures for goals and assists. Um, and you know that that goals and assists being in a similar area tells a story of quite a complete player who works well with the team. Um, so I think you're right to single him out, but. Um, Philip Billing as well, I've been impressed by. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, next in 16th place was Nottingham Forest. I actually had Nottingham Forest in 16th place. Where do you have them? Uh, well done, my friend. Uh, I had Nottingham Forest. Let me double check. At 16th. That's Well, hey, there you go. That's another one that we both had uh, exactly on the money. Which is interesting because I think a lot of people thought they were going to go down. Despite spending all that money, people looked at it and went, oh God, they're doing a Fulham... Uh, See, so yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, what, what well, made this. you think they were going to stay up? A couple of smart guys over here. I actually remember this conversation um, because I listened to it recently. <laughs> um, and I think we focused a lot of our of our chat around Lingard um, because on the one hand, we liked him. We thought, you know, we've obviously seen a great player in there while he was at West Ham mm-hmm. and they'd picked up an exciting one. But also conversely, the fact that they were paying him 200 grand a week meant that if he wasn't flying... And, and performing really well for the team, it could well be that that breeds a lot of anger and anim- yeah. animosity in the in the dressing room. Um, so we we kind of we kind of focus around that. I think I think personally, I felt like the puzzle pieces were all there. They had a good squad. It was just whether or not they were going to slot together. Mm. Um, I thought you know a lot of new players, uh, an exciting squad, um, and whether or not they were going to be able to to put it all together to, to stay up um, was to be seen. Um, and I think we did talk about the fact that they could go down, but we put them 16th. Yeah, and I think we, we both talked about Taiwo Awanai as well, who obviously uh, scored 10 goals. Uh, he did actually, I just did double check, I didn't imagine that he scored more goals like Dom Solanke did, uh, which is obviously <laughs> a fantastic return for your first season in the Premier League, uh, especially playing for a newly promoted side. I don't know how often that's been done before, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would, I'd be willing to wager that he's one of a list of like eight players who have ever done that. Can't be many. Scored double figures in your debut season through a newly promoted team. Did Tony do that? No, because it wasn't his first season when he was at Newcastle, uh, Brentford. But did he do it in his first season? Maybe, but that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, coming into the Premier League, which is always hard. But yeah. Not only that, but doing it for a newly promoted side. So, so you're, a newly promoted side has bought you from another league. So, right. so, it's, so it's both things. Right, right, right. Not only is it tricky to score ten goals. Wait, who did Tony join? Tony was at Brentford beforehand. 
Oh, you mean just joining? Just joined. Uh, ah, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I got. I thought, yeah, yeah. Because, like, like, Isaac scored ten goals this season, and everyone went, "That's really good." And it is. But he was playing for Newcastle, who were quite good. I think Tyler and I scoring ten for Nottingham Forest is is really impressive. Arguably, and much more impressive. And maybe yeah. not spoken about that much. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. Seventeenth uh, place. Uh, who have we got here? Uh, Everton. Uh, <laughs> I've made my thoughts known about Everton over the last few weeks, and I had them going down in my predictions. I had them eighteenth. Um, I believe the words I used were one of the most out of form sides in the league under my, in my opinion, maybe the worst manager in the league, a rancid time, <laughs> rancid side <laughs> at times. Um, yeah, I think again, you've gone the same way as your Manchester United Cristiano Ronaldo prediction, which was that mm. he was so bad that they got rid of him. Yeah, yeah. In With enough time for them to, to turn it around. I actually had Everton finishing 15th. Um, I think that, I didn't back them to do have a particularly good season, but I just felt like narrative-wise, if they were going to get relegated, it would have been last season. And I do maintain that. I think for a a really big team and a big club like Everton to go down, a lot has to go wrong over the course of, of one season. And the fact that they managed to, to stay up, the season where it all really started to go wrong, for me meant that they would be able to rally enough to stay in the league this year. Yeah, and, and they did just that. Big Sean Dyche managed to, to keep him up. Closer than I thought it would be, though. Indeed. Let's rattle through our final three places. First, we've got Leicester, who finished in 18th and went down. Obviously, they finished, I think, fifth two seasons prior and then eighth the season most recently. So to slip all the way into 18th, um, even if you think that Brendan Rodgers was letting things go, as I, as I think we both did. Yeah. No one saw, that, no one saw it sliding that far. Um, we really didn't. I mean, to just to jump on, on top of what you were saying there, in the space of a decade, they've been promoted to the league, won it, and then got relegated. And won the FA Cup. And won the FA Cup. And then got relegated, which is which is insane. I had them at 11th, um, and at the time we recorded, they were fending off offers from Chelsea for Wesley Fafada and from Newcastle for James Madison. They did end up keeping him, uh, obviously. Um, and I think we both looked at that while, at the time, Casper Schmeichel had departed. We both went, yeah, of course, sign a, a starting keeper to replace him. Nah. They did not. <laughs> yeah, just a, a really disappointing season for Leicester. And... I suspect they will have their bones picked clean a little bit, but if they manage to retain enough players, they, they should be some of the favourites to come straight back up. But yeah, just a really disappointing season for them that I don't think anyone saw coming, even even the Leicester fans themselves. Yeah, I personally think that they will have their bones picked clean, but we shall see. Where do you have them? I actually had them finishing seventh. Um, I think I overestimated the fact that they didn't have European football, and I thought that while they would be a lot worse than they had been, the the fact that they were playing worse, but playing fewer games might help them mediate and stay in and around the top 10. Um, but, you know, I was wrong. 19th place, uh, we had Leeds in the actual table. I had Leeds in 19th as well, and I'm wondering... Oh, did you? Well done. I, well, maybe that was just my hate boner for anyone who stands where Marcelo Bielsa dare stood. But, yeah, I think we saw towards the back end of the last season what Leeds looked like when they'd lost Calvin Phillips to injury. And then yeah. they lost him, obviously, permanently... And on top of that, also lost Rafinha to Barcelona. So at times, the last season, the only thing that was keeping Leeds going was Rafinha sort of playing out of his skin. So to lose him and also lose Calvin Phillips permanently, I was like, I just I don't see these guys staying up. I, I just didn't think they had enough. And they were so lucky to stay up the season before last that to stay up this one without Rafinha, even though there were some players like Crescencio Somerville who, who came in and looked promising and Willie Nyonto who, who looked really promising as well. Obviously, you can't, when you're a youngster, immediately fill the shoes of, of Rafinha. Of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I just saw them going down all day. Yeah, I mean, and, and you were correct. You were bang on. 
I had them finishing 17th, and I'm pretty sure I said at the time, it's either going to be here or just going down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt like the reason why they would stay up was because when I looked at other teams that I imagined would be finishing around them, teams like Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest, um, I, I felt like the finances were different and they were starting to behave a little bit more like a Premier League side. Um, you know, they, they picked up five new players, all for more than £10 million, um, which, to be fair might just be the new norm for any Premier League side, um, regardless of whether or not you stay up or go down. But um, I think we can we can quite comfortably say that the players that they have brought in to replace their fantastic outgoing players have not performed as well as they would have hoped. And yeah, they they have not been able to, to come up with a, a consistent working theory for how to win games. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And another team that hopefully will be able to hang on to what talents they do have, like, for example, Wilfred Nyonto, uh, so he doesn't get, you know, whisked away somewhere because he's a very exciting young talent. 20th place for Southampton. And it's funny, I thought you might mention this as your biggest prize of the season because it was almost mine, like, looking at how much worse they were than everyone else. But then it just wasn't a surprise when you factor in Nathan Jones. <laughs> Nathan Jones, who also, <laughs> I've seen some people talking about this, but not that many people. You know, it was not only Southampton, but Nathan Jones Southampton that knocked Manchester City out of the Carabao Cup. So Nathan Jones has done two things wow. this season. He's sent Southampton into the shadow realm. Like not just relegated, but dead, dead last. He's also stopped City winning the quadruple. And and I think... <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? Net benefit? Question mark? Uh, for Southampton? Probably not. For, for United fans? <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about, <laughs> we talk about the, the grand legacy of Nathan Jones. Uh, perhaps. Um, no, it was really interesting. I mean, I, I remember mentioning during my um, predictions that I'd heard some commentary talking about how Southampton could be real dark horses this season. They weren't, because uh, they'd added a lot of young players for significant promise, which they did. Uh, and it was a strategy that's often served Southampton quite well. My bet was that I thought they would be comfortably safe as there were teams that were significantly worse below them. Um, and at least two of those teams in <laughs> Everton, Fulham, uh, and also Bournemouth, to be fair. So three of those teams. Uh, were not comfortably worse than them. So no, they weren't. Uh, the reason I didn't put Southampton in the list of of teams that surprised me was because I had them finishing eighteenth. Oh, you um, also had them going down. I had them going down. Yeah. Ah, um, there you go. I felt that they would struggle for goals. Uh, I thought they were just a couple of injuries from key players away from struggling. And when you looked at their key players um, over the course of the last few seasons, people like James or Prowse. They were consistently playing like 37 games per In year. In fact, plus, I remember this. I remember going, season. you've sent your beloved JWP down. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Um, they flirted with going down in the past. They looked really bad at times, often losing games, um, you know, to, to really high score lines. And I just felt like the luck was going to run out at some point, And I thought it was going to be this year. Yeah, and right you were, although you uh, you gave them a little bit of grace, whereas they finished absolute rock bottom. Yeah, well, I don't know if many of you predicted that. No, uh, no I don't think Who so. could anticipate the great Nathan Jones. Well, look, that's our table for last season. Um, we've got it all to look forward to in just a few weeks. Actually, at time of recording, we're just a few hours out from the Premier League schedule for next season being announced, which seems like, give us a breather, guys, for Christ's sake. Um, it is pretty never-ending, isn't it? It is. Pre- I mean, I love- also, we went to the pub and they were playing um, Nations League matches. Oh, my God. I, I didn't even realise it was playing. It was big teams. It was I like love Netherlands versus football, Croatia. but also, you know, give, give, give me like a day's breather because <laughs> it's midweek. <laughs> Um, this is true this is true on that note Rupert great to talk to you as always Cam thank you very much and thank you to everyone for listening we'll catch you next week cheers guys bye (laughs) 
Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.